1: This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com.
0: And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You work
2: for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with The nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich
1: Valdez.
2: What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, El Conservador. And I'm right here, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden in New York City. And it's funny that Joe Biden is still at it. He's still receiving criticism over his poor performance at the G7. And I think it's interesting because now it's not just the media or me or anybody else or you that's criticizing Joe Biden. But of course, even other world leaders are now criticizing the job that Biden is doing. Now on Tuesday, not to be confused with today, which is Thursday, the Thursday edition of This Is America. On Tuesday, I was on Newsmax and I told Biden to take a page from Trump's playbook and to build himself back better. Now he's going after reporters like Trump did. Now, in fairness Trump did it when they were asking unfair questions. Biden seems to be doing it at questions that he just doesn't like. So I want you to listen to this one exchange with a CNN reporter. Check this out.
3: Why are you so confident
1: he'll change his behavior, Mr. President? Yeah, I'm not confident he change his
4: behavior. What the hell, what do you do all the time? So when did I say I was confident? You I said, said in the next six I said, said able to what it. I said was, let Let's get it straight. I said, what will change their behavior is that the rest of the world reacts to them and it diminishes their standing in the world. I, I'm not confident of anything. I'm just stating the fact. But given his past behavior has not changed, and in that press conference, after sitting down with you for several hours, he denied any involvement in cyber attacks, he downplayed human rights abuses, he even refused to say Alexei Navalny's name. So how? does that account to a constructive
2: meeting as President, president Putin You don't understand that you're in the wrong business. <laughs> okay, burn. He blasted Caitlin Collins says, you know what, you're not in the wrong business. Now, of course, Biden, you know, he um, he feels a little bit more remorseful a little bit later, but not before he snaps again saying you never ask a positive question. Listen to this. Caitlin's question that you answered at the very end there that you to talk about, the, 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 I think
0: at the heart of it was this question of whether or not you seem overly optimistic given that what well, we all listen to, President Putin essentially say the same old things that he said forever, He's you know, rejecting all responsibility for all that stuff, and I guess the question that he was trying to get, and maybe you can take another stab at it, is what concrete evidence do you have?
2: Any movement has been made, and I don't know, I don't, I don't mean that no, no, but you, you're gotcha all, question. look, to be a good reporter, you got to be negative, you got to have a negative view of life, okay, it seems to me, the way you all, you never ask a positive question, why, in fact, having agreement, we'll find out, we have an agreement to work on a major arms control agreement, I started working on arms control agreements back all the way during the Cold War, if we could do one in the Cold War, why couldn't we do one now? We'll see. We will see whether or not it happens. But what do you, I mean, the thing that always amazed me about the questions, and I apologize for having been short sure on it does, If you were in my position, would you say, well, I don't think, man, anything's going to happen. It's going to be really rough. I think it's going to really be bad. You guarantee nothing happens. So poor baby Biden, Joe El Barboso Biden, he's all upset because he says that they're being negative. Now, the reality is it's hard to be positive when you have a president that really doesn't have much to brag about. People are still facing unemployment woes. I know I'm not making as much money as I could. And you look at these things and you think to yourself, what is it that we can be proud of? I want to see Joe Biden win on the world stage. I want to see Joe Biden be successful and triumphant. And strong and victorious Because he's the president of the United States Especially when he's faced with Vladimir Putin Our arch nemesis Russia Formerly the USSR, the Soviet Union Absolutely I want to see Biden win But he's not winning And he's not helping In fact, even Putin knows That Biden and the Democrats are weak So weak that he even blasted Biden, for all of the shootings that are happening in the U.S., notice he never did something like that with President Trump. Of course, the critics are going to say, well, that's because Trump was uh, Putin's puppet and blah, blah, blah. But when you look at the analysis of this and you compare them side by side, Putin was much more tame. We didn't have all of these different cyber attacks. There were some, but by and large, we've seen more right now than we did in the same amount of time during Trump's administration. How does Biden explain that? He's weak. He's weak on cybersecurity. He's weak on foreign policy. He's weak on domestic policy. He's weak as a leader on the world stage. Listen to what President Putin had to say.
5: Look at the streets of America, every single day there are shootings and killings.
2: You, you,
5: you don't have time to open your mouth and you're shot dead. Or you remember the man who um, shot the woman in, in, in the back or who drove his car her. And then there was that shooting at the wedding. Let's say it was an error because that happens too. But shooting mm. helicopters yeah. uh, in, of civilians in Iraq. What was that about? Who is responsible for that? Who are the murderers there? And on human rights, listen to me. What about Guantanamo? It's still working. And it doesn't come under any kind of law, international, American, nothing. But it still exists. CI prisons which were opened in lots of states uh, which uh,
2: excise torture?
5: Is that human rights?
2: Man, that was deep. So Putin is now clearly calling us out in rather logical fashion letting people know, look, people are savagely killing people in the streets of many urban cities across America. Which, quite frankly, have nothing to do with you and me most of the time, right? The people who live in the suburbs, the people that vote Republican, the people that are patriots, the people that want to see America move forward. But no, these are the union strongholds, the bluest states, and Biden just doesn't seem to care. Because I'm sure he sees it, he just doesn't care. Because politicians are so narcissistic. In fact, Hillary Clinton, who is now, you know, just a behind-the-scenes political player. She's not, she shouldn't be in front of the camera, but she was. She was on MSNBC with The Morning Joke, as my buddy John Tobacco likes to call it. And The Morning Joke had her on for her to discuss her thoughts on this Putin G7 stuff as a former Secretary of State. And you're not going to believe where she took it. Or maybe you will listen to this.
5: You know, remember, you know, Putin made it his mission to deny me uh, the presidency in part because, you know, I did uh, raise issues that were uncomfortable with him. I did speak out about uh, the oppression Uh, And frankly, the rigged elections uh, in uh, Russia, because I do think you need both an inside and an outside game. You need a public and a
2: private uh, approach to Putin. And, you know, that's what Joe Biden uh, gets. So with everything that's been said and done, the G7, you got Biden bumbling and stammering all over the place, being him, Joe El Baboso Biden. Hillary the Witch Clinton, she flies in on her broom to make a statement. And the big takeaway is, well, you know, Putin stopped me from being president because this has everything to do with her and nothing to do about keeping America first. It's so telling to see how these politicians reveal their true colors. All you got to do is listen to them and pay attention. But the media is not that far off. So many in the media, they go the same exact route focusing on them trying to push their own narrative. And what's interesting is, yesterday, at a very undisclosed location that we may or may not have flown to on a helicopter, Mr. Producer and I had lunch with Ivory Hecker. She's the Fox 26 reporter that went off script and said that Fox 26 in Houston was censoring her ability to tell the truth to the listeners, to the viewers of the Houston area. And they summarily fired her after that. You know, first they said it was a suspension. Afterwards, they said, you know, she was no longer with the organization. But what's interesting is she said that they would create a narrative. And you've heard this. James O'Keefe and Project Veritas exposed this whole thing. They blew the lid off of it. So kudos to all of them. And big kudos to Ivory Hecker for having the courage to stand up and put her job on the line. Because it is that sacrifice that is necessary for us to move forward. We can't move forward without the sacrifice. One of my favorite authors, at least from the business perspective, is Napoleon Hill. And Napoleon Hill has a quote where he says, Great achievement is usually born of great sacrifice. And it goes on, but that's the part I want to focus on. Because to me, that's the part that matters the most. Great achievement is usually born of great sacrifice. And I use that quote on a picture that Mr. Producer and I snapped with Ivory Hecker because... I felt that she was living up to that Project Veritas slogan, Be Brave. She exemplified it, she personified it, and so many Americans are doing it. We've seen so many whistleblowers come forward. But as many whistleblowers as coming forward to expose the media for what they're doing and assisting the left, because they are the left within the media, we also have journalists, doctors, anybody else pretending to be a news guy, like Fareed Zakaria, who on CNN says that while Trump was the disruptor in chief, Biden is just making everything great and makes you think head scratch. What? Who? How? Listen to this. How important is that difference between Biden's approach and Trump's approach?
4: This is a very important issue, and I'm so glad you asked it, uh, Jim, because fundamentally what Biden understands is that the world is stable because the United States and its allies have put in place a series of institutions, rules, norms, procedures that kind of regulate, regularize, stabilize it. Um, This is why we have had enormous change in the world over the last 70 years, and yet we've not had a major power war. So for the United States to continue to play that historic role as stabilizer in chief, It needs to be clear. It needs to be predictable. It needs to be deterring bad stuff. It needs to be encouraging good behavior. Trump was doing almost the opposite in that sense. He was the disruptor-in-chief. So what Biden is returning the United States to is that core position of stabilizing the world, which has helped us all get peace and prosperity over the last 70 years.
2: Now, if Fareed Zakaria, for a second, thinks that Joe Biden is not destabilizing the world... Look at the Middle East. Hamas was just blowing the crap out of Israel and they had to fire back. Unrest in the uh, Middle East has caused gas prices to soar. Biden's putting the kibosh on energy independence, natural gas production, our own gasoline stuff, you name it, giving the green light to Putin for his energy production needs. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And then all he has to do... In his own opinion, to be tough and stand up to Putin is he says, you know what? These 16 targets are off limits. You're not allowed to hit these 16 targets because, I, like I said, those you can't mess with. No cyber attacks on these 16 targets. What? Literally, you got to be kidding me. I mean, this is a joke. It's literally telling Putin you could cyber attack whatever the hell you want. You just can't have these. Ridiculous. And then he goes on and he lies about a cop being killed, saying that the January 6th attacks claimed the life of a police officer. Joe Biden's out of his mind. Right here on this program, we we read the articles, we read the medical examiner's report. It's all over the Washington newspapers. When it came out months ago, Brian Sicknick died of a stroke, even if it was somewhat stress-related from his very stressful job of being a police officer. And I already made this case, and I think it's a pretty solid one. My job's stressful, too. Maybe not like a police officer, for sure. But if I had a stroke or a heart attack, God forbid, can I turn around and blame the left because they stress me out? Can a cop turn around and blame rioters that attacked something when your job is to serve and protect the capital as a capital cop? Can you say, the guy didn't put a gun to the guy's head and kill him? They lied and said that he got hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. And we know that wasn't true. So now they're saying, well, it was the stress that caused this. Come on. You don't have a heart attack or a stroke just because of one instance of stress. That's continued prolonged stress and other things and other factors that create those conditions for one to have a stroke. Let's be real here, people. And even the medical examiner made that determination in Washington, D.C. The Swamp's very own coroner said that. So I don't want to hear it. I think Joe El Baboso Biden, he's just off. This was debunked, and now he's outright lying. Anyway, I want to talk about this article I saw, a little bit off the beaten path, because... A, I don't really care about the World Health Organization, and B, I'm not a woman. But I know many of them, and I think you're going to find this interesting. The World Health Organization is now saying that women, and women in particular, but not necessarily exclusively, women in their childbearing years should be banned from drinking alcohol. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America.
4: This is America.
5: Para inglés, o primal número dos. Para Rich Valdez y
1: esto es América
2: Ahora. Bienvenido, America. Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all the social media. And you can always uh, get at me on Parlor, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, wherever you want. I'm on pretty much all of them. Uh, we have a Rumble channel. We have a YouTube channel. Make sure you check those out. Probably should be more active on that, a little bit more active on that. And we'll get to that. We'll continue to add video content as you guys ask for it. Uh, I prefer the spoken word, the audio format. It's just easier. Right now, I'm in boxers and a t-shirt in the home studio. But there's times when, uh, you know, I'm dressed up in a suit and I'm in the Manhattan studio or in the bunker studio. The point is, you have so much more flexibility when we do audio, and you can do it faster than having to do hair and makeup. And for those of you who've seen my hair, you know, I've got a lot of work to be done with this coif. Anyway, so at Rich Valdez is the social media handle. RichValdez.com is the website therichvaldez.com is where you can find absolutely everything about the show you can find all of our episodes you can go there check it out and if you want to go to the social media and pick up a rich valdez shirt to support this is america you're welcome to do that we got the blue one that says rich valdez and it has a big picture of me and american flag the show logo and we also have the liberty loving latino Amigo shirt which is uh, this is america exclusive which is pretty cool And a big shout out to all of the other liberty-loving Latinos out there that support America and the great cause of Americanism. Now, I want to get into this World Health Organization topic of women not being able to drink. Now, I'm not an advocate that women should drink, per se. I'm just thinking, why women? First of all, I thought they were just birthing people. Now, all of a sudden, we're calling them women. But the World Health Organization says women of childbearing age should be banned from drinking alcohol. This is by Sean Wooler, the health correspondent for the Daily Mail in the UK. Alcohol Action Plan calls on countries to raise awareness of alcohol-related harm. It warns that drinking in children, pregnant women, and those of childbearing age can be harmful. Duh, I could have told you that. Last night, the drinks industry described the proposal as paternalistic and sexist. This is the latest global action plan from the World Health Organization to raise awareness for alcohol-related harm and the harmful use thereof. The draft guidance warns that booze is associated with increased disease, poor mental health, violence, lost productivity, and strained relationships. It adds, one of the most dramatic manifestations of harm to persons other than drinkers is prenatal alcohol exposure and the development of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. The symptoms in children exposed to alcohol in the womb can include poor growth, distinct facial features, and learning and behavioral problems. The plan suggests that harms could be publicized through an international World No Alcohol or World No Alcohol Week. It goes on to say that appropriate attention should be given to the prevention of the initiation of drinking among children and adolescents, preventing drinking among pregnant women and women, excuse me, women of childbearing age and protecting against the pressures to drink. Now, you would think that something like this is not even newsworthy. And why on earth am I reading something like this? That I think everybody here knows if you're pregnant, you don't drink. You don't even take aspirin for the most part, right? They tell you to tough it out for the nine months because... There's a little person inside of you. You know, even if you're breastfeeding, they tell you not to do a lot of these things. But they felt the need to put it out anyway. So the UK's chief medical officer says that the safest approach for women who are pregnant or trying to become pregnant is to not drink alcohol at all. However, Matt Lambert of the UK alcohol trade body, the Portman Group, he says it was extremely concerned by the World Health Organization's proposal. I seem to not be able to say the word world. (laughs) Anyway... You've got to call me crazy, but these are things that we've all known and we've all known for quite a long time. And I find it amazing that there's so many people out there that are like, you know what? Look, my body, my choice. I do what I want to do. It's okay to abort the kid in the womb, but it's not okay to drink while they're pregnant. And I'm not saying you should drink while they're pregnant. The point I'm making is, We put so much emphasis on the wrong things in society and in science. You look at something like that, and maybe before coronavirus, we might have looked at that and been like, well, yeah, duh, we heard about that, but we might take it somewhat seriously. But now that the World Health Organization, in my opinion, has been debunked as a uh, fake phony fraud propaganda arm of the Chinese Communist Party because of all the control they have, we now know that all they did was cover up the Wuhan coronavirus and lie to us about six feet versus 12 feet versus mask versus no mask. I mean, it was one thing after the next. And now the UK wants to potentially put a proposal forward to ban drinking amongst pregnant women. I'm not necessarily against pregnant women drinking, although I think they shouldn't. I'm just against the ban. And I don't think pregnant women should drink. I just don't think the government or the health service should tell people what they can or cannot do. And that doesn't make me pro-choice. That makes me maybe anti-government, if you will. And to me, the stark difference or the stark contrast that I see here is that it's okay for women of childbearing years to take the vaccine. And those are the women that are suffering the most, getting these uh, blood clots and whatnot. But it's not okay for them to have a glass of wine. Got it. So no more their body, their choice. Gotcha. The World Health Organization, to me, just seems to have gotten everything wrong, and now they want us to believe that they're right about this. No thanks. Now, speaking of women, Florida woman, who's a mom, uh, Moms for Liberty, Keisha King, we played an audio snippet of her on this show a couple of days back. She's back in the news. She was on Roland Martin's show, he's got a streaming show on YouTube, that was a really interesting exchange and I might have a little bit of audio from that I want to play for you because they got into a um, back and forth on critical race theory and we're going to discuss that straight ahead. So don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. Bienvenido, America. Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. On the last episode of This is America, I mentioned to you that somebody sent me an article on how the government created ghettos. And we're going to jump into that. But first, I want to talk about Keisha King, who you heard on this program. She um, was that mom that stepped up in Florida. She's from Jacksonville. And she uh, railed against critical race theory at a school board meeting. And she was gracious enough to join Roland Martin on his live stream program, Unfiltered with Roland Martin. Now, what I find interesting here is that she remained graceful under fire, but he was raising his hands, stammering while consistently being condescending toward her, shouting her down, speaking over her and asking the same gotcha questions one after the next. And Miss King remained poised. She maintained her posture, politely correcting him each and every time. Check this out. The State Board of Education has supported a statewide ban
1: on something that you could not quantify. Yes, because any time you try to segregate people by their race and say that's, that's one school no 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 Keisha. No Keisha. 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 Keisha, school. no Keisha no Keisha 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 that's one school no Keisha Keisha so so Keisha wait a minute you're, you're hold you're up hold up let's stay right clearly. there so you talk to me about it so wait a minute you're and now contradicting yourself no, I am, you no, I am you not. You are. You just consistent. said, oh. you just said, if a group of people have a problem at a school, the administrator should only take it up with those people and not do a full assembly, right? That's what you said, right? What I said was, if there is a specific issue, you were specifically talking about the Douglas Anderson case where there was a specific issue. I was speaking to that. As far as critical race theory, which is a separate issue, what I'm but it's saying not been taught. is this is being widely, yes, it and is. And i ask you how widely, how widely, how widely. I don't know. Hold I up, don't wait, know. wait, 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 it's wait, wait, hold in up. My, in my, hold with hold up, in my hold too. up, 1%, as hold up. You gave me school. one teacher. You gave me one teacher. So is it 5%, are 5% of all teachers in Florida doing
2: this? Now, here's the problem I have with this. See, Mr. Martin, he's not only just bullying her, but it's nonsensical, his line of argument, right? So he's saying that she was in favor of a ban and spoke out on a ban of teaching critical race theory Yet she didn't even know how many people were teaching critical race theory. So I'll put it to you this way, Mr. Martin. I want to ban the beating of people. I want to ban the beating of people, uh, black people by police. How many times is that happening? I don't know. But I think it's wrong each and every time it happens, Right. Sangano pendejo estúpido. How are you gonna sit there and say that you have to quantify something that's bad? How about this? I want to ban the beating of Asian people in the streets. How often is that happening? It doesn't freaking matter, you big dope, to steal a line from Mark Levin. It doesn't you don't have to quantify something to be able to disagree with it and go speak your voice. This is the totalitarian, authoritarian mindset that the people on the left have. Now this guy clearly he's flown off the rails. And I met him. He moderated a debate in Manhattan years ago, met him, super nice guy. Him and some other people that I met, Democrats, good guys. Uh, But he seems to have become a, a lot more preoccupied with this critical race theory argument than trying to make sure that it survives in our culture. But I want you to continue listening just a little bit. Do you
1: know? Is it 10%? So if I was to say, okay, well, there's only 2% of racist, racist people in the United States Congress, are you going to be like, oh, well, just only, we don't have to worry about that because it's only 2%. No, 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 no. I'm using your example. I don't want racist teachings anywhere in American classrooms. Here's the problem. Any- Here's the problem. You contradicted yourself. You supported a statewide ban on something that's not even being yeah. taught because your child recorded one teacher. You can't even answer. You literally cannot even answer how widespread is it. You said, I don't know. So your deal oh, is, I don't, you so you're, like, okay with, you're okay with some racism no. as long as it's not widespread. No, okay, here's no. the deal, Keisha. Okay. I'm
2: going to use it. your example. She's exactly right. He is okay with just some racism. He is okay with a little bit of murder. Because if you can't prove the murder's happening, then we shouldn't say that murder is wrong and we shouldn't put a ban on murder. Now, if you're gonna come at me and say, well, this isn't murder we're talking about, Rich, you can't keep equating these things. These are false equivalencies. I would say to prove the fallibility of the argument, you have to take it to its most logical extreme. And that's what I'm doing. And I think she's making an excellent case. But he's got his volume up on his mic. She's on a Skype connection that's kind of um, shaky. And that might be, you know, I don't know if it's just a bad connection or if, you know, his engineers don't have her volume all the way up. So it's easier for him to overpower her. And I mean, it's just this is just an unfair scenario. And all of that still, she still holds her own. Check this
1: out. Since you had a problem with one teacher, Keisha should have gone. Oh, she hung up, y'all. See what happens. This is what happens, y'all. When did she hang up or did it, it our system go out? She hung up.
2: See, this is what happened, y'all. It didn't look like she hung up. And if I if I have time, I'm going to track her down and see if she'll tell us if she hung up or not. But the point was, these guys, they, they don't want to have a conversation. And listen, I was accused of that recently. You heard the clip I played in the last show with the gentleman who was making the case about the same topic, critical race theory. Racism per se, systemic racism. The issue at hand, in my opinion, is that they don't want to have this honest dialogue. I'm not afraid to have an honest dialogue. I just want it to be honest. Roland Martin is saying that because critical race theory was banned by statute in Florida and a handful of other states and a multitude of other states are now considering it, that it's not an issue. And I contend that just because we're banning something that you may not be able to quantify or that it isn't even a prevalent problem doesn't mean we shouldn't ban it. Period. So kudos to Ms. King. I agree with her. It's never okay to defend racial segregation. And I didn't play that part of the audio, but one part that they got into an exchange about was how she had taken exception to a school assembly from some race hustlers that came in claiming to be consultants and whatnot, saying, we're going to divvy up the school by race, people of color and white. Is that not exactly what Dr. Martin Luther King fought and died for to prevent in this country She had every right to be livid. And him saying, well, did you ask why they were doing that? Why on earth would I ask why? Jim Crow is not legal. Jim Crow is out the door. And now Roland Martin is defending Jim Crow? Roland Martin wants coloreds in one room and whites in another? He should be ashamed of himself. It's never okay to defend racial segregation. Punto y final, period, the end. Now, going back to that NPR piece that I mentioned to you where the uh, government created the ghetto, I think it's very telling because my question would be who within the government created the ghetto? And here's the article, it's on NPR. It's from a few years ago, May 15th, May 14th of 2015. And this is a synopsis of a podcast that they did. And one historian says, don't sanitize how our government created ghettos. Fascinating to me. And here's a part of it. Fifty years ago, the repeal of Jim Crow. Many African Americans still live in segregated ghettos in the country's metropolitan areas. And that's according to Richard Rothstein, research associate at the Policy Institute, uh, excuse me, Economic Policy Institute. And he spent years studying the history of residential segregation in America. Now, I'm just going to jump back in before I read the rest of this article because I think it's important to note that nobody forced the Chinese to live in Chinatown. Nobody forces the South Asian Indian community to live in Jersey City, where they have a large population of them. Nobody forces um, people of the Jewish faith to live in Boca Raton. Many people choose to live amongst people they have shared and like values with and a shared vision with because it's easier and it's beneficial to them vis-a-vis why we have families. But... I will continue. He says, we have a myth today that ghettos in metropolitan areas around the country are what the Supreme Court calls de facto. Just the accident of the fact that people don't have enough income to move into middle-class neighborhoods or because real estate agents steered black and white families into different neighborhoods or because there was white flight. And this is what Rothstein told Fresh Air, that's the podcast, Terry Gross. He goes on, it was not intended to affect benign policies, it was an explicit racially purposeful policy that was pursued at all levels of government. And that's the reason we have these ghettos today. And we are reaping the fruits of these policies. Now, look, I don't want to stand here and be a defender of the Republican Party, but I am going to say, who do you think instituted these policies to keep blacks in economically depressed areas? I got a clue for you. It's not the Republican. It goes on. One of the ways in which we forget our history is by sanitizing our language and pretending that these problems don't exist. We've always recognized that there were ghettos. A ghetto is, as he defines it, a neighborhood which is homogenous and where there are serious barriers to exit. That's the technical definition of a ghetto. Robert Weaver, the first African-American member of the cabinet appointed by President Johnson as his secretary of HUD, described many of the policies that are described in this book back in 1948, the book entitled The Negro Ghetto. So this term, ghetto, is something that's no longer in use because it's embarrassed and people don't want to talk about it. And he contends that they have to confront history and stop sanitizing language and talk openly about what we've done as a nation and what we need to do to undo it. Now, if you think this sounds like critical race theory or some sort of revisionist history, I would say, no, this is still happening today. You you have the introduction of the 1619 Project, the introduction of critical race theory. All of these things are sanitizing the language. The fact that I'm no longer called a person or an American uh, or citizen of the United States, I'm called a brown person or a BIPOC. Now, I give BIPOC a a pass because, of course, there's white Anglo-Saxon Protestant WASP. So I guess it's okay to have an acronym for others that are not WASP, right? Like BIPOC, black, indigenous, person of color. I think, quite frankly, it's ridiculous. I would not use that in a sentence. I use it on the show all the time because it reminds me of a rapper that I used to listen to as a kid. Tupac and I think it's funny to have this word BIPOC but even though I say it in jest this is a real thing and people do take this stuff seriously now this guy uh, Rothstein he goes on to talk about how the new deal and public works led to the creation of these segregated ghettos look at that somebody telling the truth about FDR's um, horrible policies the policy of public housing could be used only to house people of the same race as the neighborhood in which it was located but in fact most of the public housing that was built in the early years was built in integrated neighborhoods where they raised these buildings and then built segregated public housing in those neighborhoods. Public housing created racial segregation where none existed before. That was one of the chief policies of the FDR administration. Yet they want to hail him as a hero. He goes on to talk about federal housing in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s and how that was racist. The second policy which was probably even more effective in segregating metropolitan areas was the Federal Housing Administration which financed mass production building and subdivisions starting in the 1930s and 40s into the 50s. So this mass production of builders in places like Levittown, New York, Nassau County, New York and in every metropolitan area in the country. They got guaranteed loans at lower interest rates And banks that would use these developers to build these subdivisions on the condition that no homes in those subdivisions would be sold to African-Americans. that's that whole process of redlining that we've talked about. Horribly racist, terribly illegal today. And look at the way we've come in the last 70 years. So when someone comes and wants to talk about redlining, you have to just stop and think, A, don't insult my intelligence, and B, what's wrong with you? Read a book. Wake up, bro. And the article goes on. I think the bottom line here that I want to underscore is that it's the Democrats themselves that have created these policies. It's the Democrats themselves that created these ghettos. And it's the Democrats themselves that perpetuate any type of institutional or systemic racism that they claim exists. I argue against it because I believe that institutionally things are not racist. But I can admit to the fact that African-American students perform at lower rates than just about any other student. And the reasons that scholars have come up with is not because African-Americans are somehow less able. That's a damn lie. And we've seen that, especially with athletic ability, with singing ability. I mean, if you ask me, I think African-Americans are some of the most talented and able people out there. So then why is this happening In elementary school. Well, some of the key indicators are if your parents went to college, if you're not facing poverty, and if you have parents. And this is part of what FDR did was he made sure that black families in particular, by giving them all of these things, because they were the most vulnerable population at the time, still recovering from slavery. But again, recovering from slavery, they built Black Wall Street. They built lots of things. They were on the come up. They were able to do whatever work they wanted to do until they were stifled by Democrats who instituted a minimum wage law and said, nope, you you can only work for this much money. You can't work for less than that. Otherwise, it has to be quote unquote off the books. The Democrats have been systemically racist against blacks since the beginning of time in America. That's a fact. It's historically provable and it's one that we need to not let up on. If they need reparations, they know where to collect. It's not with me. It's likely not with you. And it's quite likely with the Democrat Party. Anyway, so we have somebody that defected from Korea. And they're on the record saying that Americans are being brainwashed in schools. And the reason she knows well, because she was also brainwashed in school in North Korea. I want you to listen to what she has to say.
3: You know, I was excited about like learning about history and you know how the people thought back then. And one of the person at the orientation was asking who like loves jo- Jane Austen and and who reads these classical books and I was like, I love those books. I just like thought it was a good thing, right? And then she was like, Did you know that those writers who had a like, colonial mindset were racist and bigots who wrote their books? So they are uh, subconsciously brainwashing you. And that's like when I realized, wow, this is insane. And like I literally thought I thought America was that different and I just saw so much similarity that I saw in North Korea and I was started worrying about this country. Mainstream education is purposefully designed now make resent this Western democracy.
2: Wow. I mean this is deep. They were racists and bigots and were subconsciously brainwashing you. I realized wow this is insane. I thought America was different, but I saw so many similarities to what I saw in North Korea that I started worrying about this country. Mainstream education is purposely designed to make you resent Western democracy. And that's Mi Park, who defected from North Korea. That is a damn shame. It's a damn shame. It reminds me of a couple of years ago, where we played some audio of Senator Diane Feinstein She was being accosted by a bunch of little children on a school trip to a museum. And they claimed the world would end in 12 years. And they all had these climate facts, quote unquote, ready to go. And they were being used as pawns by their climate activist parents and teachers. And of course, all out crazy, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez herself. She had a big role in that. Because she herself is a product of being brainwashed by a school. And I look at this and I think, this is why we have these problems today. These kids are being indoctrinated at such an early age to become climate activists, to become racial activists, to become gender activists. Heck, instead of making them activists, they're making them transgender. So that they can be the the biggest form of activists. because now it's personal for them. I mean, I would not doubt for a second that there's a mad scientist somewhere that's saying, you know, if we tell people that it's this and it's that and that genders something they can just identify, then, you know, maybe we could fix this and fix that. I mean, these are people that are just socially experimenting with humanity at our children's expense, at your children's expense, at the future generation's expense. And it's wrong. The entire thing is wrong because it leads to creating activists that become elected members of Congress that are going to call on their colleagues and their constituents to invest billions and billions and trillions and trillions of dollars and thrust America into further debt just to finance everything in the name of whatever they want to call it. This time they're calling it infrastructure. And I don't want to leave you hanging on this AOC. So I want you to listen to AOC and her comments on infrastructure spending. Listen to this.
4: Infrastructure, climate,
2: Uh, rather, climate legislation is infrastructure legislation. That's why it's so important that this infrastructure bill actually helps us meet our climate goals. We don't just wish down carbon emissions. We build down carbon emissions. And we do that with millions of jobs. We do that by creating millions of jobs for young people to get into the pipeline of union labor. We're going to make sure that that millennials and Gen Z, we want that to be one of the most unionized generations in American history.
4: That's our goal. Okay.
2: It's going to be a big part. And then once you
4: connect to that, that's how we get healthcare. That's how we get higher wages. That's how we get a higher quality
2: of life. And that's how we save our planet. So climate legislation is infrastructure legislation. Oh my goodness. I mean, She's just something else. And notice her focus, millennials, Gen Z. She wants them to be the most unionized generation in American history. That's her goal. And they clap like idiots because they think that's a good thing. Listen, it is a good thing. If you want to never be a real creator, if you just want to be something and someone that just goes along to get along, living off the next guy. I've never met a billionaire that came out of the government. Nobody makes it there. You can make a hundred million. You could do a lot as being a crooked politician. Sure you can. But nobody grows up and says, man, I want to be a senator so I can strike it rich. Despite all of their corruption, the action's in the free market. The best shot you've got of being an immigrant and coming to America and becoming a billionaire is in the free market. It's in the private sector. It's not in the public sector. It's not in the government. And it's not being a social worker. And I'm not trying to put social workers down. The social sector is a very important sector. Because I believe it's part of our duty to be charitable. To help others. To help our fellow man. To raise money and to be benevolent. And that's the whole reason I always say that we have to stand for something. Because if we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. That's from Hamilton. And Lord Acton and Sir Edmund Burke have often said... That the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing. So don't sit there and do nothing. Do something so that evil will not triumph. So that infrastructure won't be everything under the sun. So that we can prevent future generations of AOCs and we can promote future generations of people children that will actually get into the free market, that will get into the private sector and make a difference. Hasta la proxima. Until the next time, America, I am Rich Valdez and this is America.
4: This is America.